Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. This is the final uh, message in a series, in the series, uh, that was, you know, for lack of creativity, called Prayer and Fasting 2019. That's what it was called in my head, anyway. Uh, to go along with our time of prayer and fasting. Now, I can't put, uh, a, 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 make a, a spreadsheet or anything like that that shows what the results of our prayer and fasting were or might have been. But I can tell you that I know experientially, and many of the rest of us do too, we know the prayer and fasting made a difference over the first month of this year. Uh, if you've gotten your vision, you've read the newsletter about, uh, that I wrote of all, about all the things that went on, the wonderful things that have gone on in January, and we're expecting the same sort of thing in February. We're expecting God to continue to move. We come here, church, on Sunday morning, but I can tell you the staff comes to work every day of the week expecting God to do something, and we're expecting that uh, on into the year. But this message is the, the last one, the uh, theme, the broad theme of the, the scriptures for the prayer and fasting this past week were God gives grace, we give grace. That was the, the, the intended theme of the scriptures. I'm focusing this morning on the God gives grace portion because y'all didn't want me to preach two sermons, and that would have been two sermons if I'd have tried to do both of those uh, themes. So Romans chapter 6 Verses 12 through 14 are our focal passage this morning on God gives grace. Now, I do have a confession to make this morning to you. I cannot walk by a bowl of M&Ms without eating any. Just can't do it. Uh, now, I don't generally make a point to get out of my chair or off the couch to walk into the kitchen to get the M&Ms. I don't usually do that. It's not that bad of an addiction. But if I do, we normally keep them in the kitchen on the uh, little bar. Isn't that where we keep them? Where do we keep the M&Ms when we have them? We don't keep them because we eat them all. Because, right. But when we have them to eat, they're normally in the kitchen in a little uh, uh, dish. And every time I walk by, I eat M&Ms. Now, that is not, on the grand scale of issues, that's not very high up there. That's really a, a minor problem to have. Uh, unless we kept them all the time, then the minor problem would uh, grow. Um, but the big problem that I have is that I have sins that I treat the same way. I can't walk by the bowl without getting something. Whatever that bowl is, if I have the opportunity to commit those sins, I do. Now, I'm being very uh, personal here, and I have the I pronoun. I think we could probably put the we pronoun there, or maybe you could put yourself in the place of, of that sentence. <clears throat> I do it. I walk by the bowl. I take a few every time I get an opportunity to. But the reality of my situation is that I am not bound to my sin. I don't have to go by the bowl. I don't have to pull anything out of the bowl. And I don't have to eat what I pull out of the bowl. I can avoid the M&Ms. I can avoid the sin in my life. 
I'm not a subject to or a servant, or subject of or a servant to my sin. And yet every time I walk by the bowl, I pull something out. What's the problem? Tim Keller kind of encapsulated it for us. Uh, He's the pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. He said the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We're going to focus on both of those this morning. We're going to talk about the first part and how true it is. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. I think I can walk by that bowl and not eat the M&M's. But given the opportunity, without certain restraints, without a certain will, I will eat the M&M's because I am more sinful and flawed in myself than I ever dared to believe. But at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Every time I walk by the bowl and, and, and have an M&M, Jesus doesn't reject me? The answer is no. Why? Grace. Grace is the answer. God gives grace. As sinful and as flawed as I am, I can overcome that sin. As sinful and as flawed as you are, you can overcome that sin. You want our purpose statement this morning, our uh, main idea, our big theme, because of the grace of God, I can overcome sin. This morning, that is what you should leave here thinking and believing and holding on to. Because of grace, uh, because of the grace of God, I can overcome sin. Romans, the whole book tells us about that, but I couldn't preach the whole book this morning. Um, That would have gone right up to the Super Bowl. Um, So I had to focus on a little bit. So we're focusing on chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. And those verses say, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under under grace. We're going to look at this passage in uh, four big chunks. I guess there will be four points to my sermon this morning. Don't let sin reign. Don't give yourself to sin. Give yourself to God. Let grace reign. Those will be the four big points this morning. Verse 12 gives us the command to not let sin reign. Don't let sin reign. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. There is something implicit in this command, something inherent in the background um, if I tell a child of mine, 
don't jump off a bridge. Inherent, implicit in that is my suspicion that given the opportunity, my child would choose to jump off a bridge. Now, not the two that I have here right now, certainly not. Um, uh, and maybe it would be something greater something or something more intimate or, or something that I, is, a, is a greater concern. But any prohibition comes with the idea inherently that if we don't prohibit this, it will happen or it could happen. So what we see here, when the Lord tells us through Paul, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Inherent here is that sin has power over us. Sin has power over us. To not trivialize it, but to make it maybe a bit more memorable, M&Ms have power over me. They're good. They are yummy. My mouth likes them. My body craves them. They're handy. They're convenient. It, it's it's bite-sized heaven right there in your hands. And you can get four or five of them at a time, and you don't feel like you're eating that much 50 times a day. But just think of the exercise I get walking back and forth to the jar, right? Do I work off the M&Ms? Probably not. Probably not. They have power over me. Sin has power over me. You put a, a, a jar of, of almonds in the same spot, I will walk further going around those things than I will uh, to avoid them. They, they will never be a temptation. They have no power over me. The sin has the power over me. Those things that I like. Sin has power over us. It has a power over us. When Paul writes this, he says, Therefore do not let sin reign. There's in that verb uh, of letting sin reign, this idea of do not let sin continue to reign. In other words, either sin has been reigning in you, or you have the tendency, you have the uh, proclivity to allow sin to reign over you. And I can tell Paul, give him a hearty amen on that verse, because that is me. Sin has power over me. Sin is persuasive. Sin is, has the ability to coerce the things we know. Paul knew it. I mean, he, he writes about it over and over in Romans, and particularly when he says, what I want to do, I don't want to do, and what I, uh, uh, what did I say the first time? What I want to do, I don't want to do, and what I don't want to do, I do. He understood the persuasive nature of sin. He understood that it will convince you that it's okay because sin has power. Sin's attractive. They don't make ugly M&Ms. They're pretty. You know, they, you, you, and, and then they come along with their holiday M&Ms. They don't taste any different, but they're prettier. It's like, ooh, it's Easter. So we get pastel M&Ms now. 
Or Valentine's Day, it's the red and white ones. Fourth of July, we get red, white, and blue. Halloween, we get black and orange. Christmas, we get uh, Thanksgiving, we get orange and brown. Christmas, do you see I have a problem? Christmas, we have uh, uh, green and red. It's, it's just, you, now, did you know you can buy M&Ms online? You can buy your colors that you want. You can have the colors mixed as you want them. If you're having, say, a, an LSU party uh, for a football game, or if you're celebrating today uh, the fact that the Saints should be in the Super Bowl but aren't, uh, you might have ordered black and gold M&Ms. You could have done that. They're attractive. Sin is no different. It has this power over us. It, it is persuasive. Uh, it, it convinces us that it's a good thing. It convinces us that we need it. It is attractive. It doesn't even have to try hard usually to convince us, to persuade us. We chase it down. We see it and we run after it. And the conclusion here is that sin can control you. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. So that you obey its desires. Who do you obey? People that are in charge. People who have rules that you have to follow. That's who you obey. And it, Scripture tells us don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Inherent, again, in that is that sin can control us. And Paul says, don't let it do that. Don't give yourself to sin, he says in verse 13. And do not offer any parts of it, your mortal body, to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. Now this is some interesting language. Do not offer any parts of your body, your mortal body, to sin as weapons. What Paul is telling us here is that we cannot give sin any quarter. We cannot give sin any room in our lives. Do you, do you hear the responsibility that we as believers have? We as blood-bought, saved Christians have a responsibility to put up a guard against sin, to uh, push back against its power, to deny its persuasiveness, to ignore its attractiveness, to let loose of its control. And in order to do those things, we cannot give it an inch in our lives. You cannot give it any room to come in. You can't keep the rest of your house in order, but have a closet for your sin, a closet for your mess. How many of you, and don't raise your hand, have a closet in your house that's your junk closet or your junk room? It's when you have to clean up the house, that's where everything goes. And, and sometimes, once every decade, you clean out that room or that closet. Maybe. Or maybe it just piles up. And, and maybe if, if, if you're like me with the, the shop that I have in my yard, the, uh, the storage house, it, it kind of begins to just, you fill it until it starts to 
overflow. And, and, and you get to where you can't put any more in there, so now you've got to have what? Another closet or another junk room. Or these are the junk, junk drawers or you have the, the junk cabinet. I mean, how much junk can we have? <laughs> we can have a lot. Um, it just begins to pour out, doesn't it? begins to spill out until you have to, you've got to make room for it somewhere else. That is sin when we give it a room in our spiritual house. We think we're going to keep it in that, no, no, I'm, I'm going to keep the sin. It's not getting out of this room anymore. And then maybe we put some more in there and some more in there. Or we just keep going in there. How many of you, for you, it, your junk room is actually the room you hang out in the most? Maybe it's an old uh, office that you have, or the kids are out of the house and it's one of their spare bedrooms, but it's kind of, it, maybe it's where you hang your clothes on your treadmill. <laughs> um, or something like, you know, you go in there, you, you, you use it, and, and you think every time you go in there, I've got to clean this mess up. And that's what you say the next time you go in there, and the next time. You see, you see, you, you give it room. Sin is the same way. We store it, we give it a room, and, but we say, oh, but I'm not going to mess with it anymore. I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to go in there. But sin has not lost its power, its persuasiveness, or its attractiveness. And we think we're just going to stick it in there. Don't give yourself to sin. Paul is saying here, stop giving yourself to sin, or Possibly, do not make a habit of giving yourself to sin. It's kind of similar to the way he says it in verse 12. When he says, don't let sin, either stop doing it if you are, or make sure that you are doing everything in your power to not allow it, to not give any room to sin. And then he uses this, this, this phrase, do not offer any parts of it to sin, of your mortal body to sin, as weapons for unrighteousness. When we give in to the persuasiveness, the power, the attraction of sin, what we end up doing is making our own bodies an enemy of our own righteousness. Autoimmune diseases, uh, there's a particular class of them that your body actually fights against itself. Your, your white blood cells, your, uh, um, your antibodies that are naturally occurring in your body that normally fight against diseases that come into your body, for whatever reason, go haywire and turn against the very body that created them. And they begin to fight your own muscles and your own nerves. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and you medical people nod if I'm right or shake your head if I'm wrong, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, is one of those things that does that, that turns against its own body. That is what sin does in the spiritual life of a Christian. Sin, when we give our body, some part of our body to sin, we then make that part of our body. And what he's talking about here when he says body, he's not just talking about the physical parts of our body. He is. He's talking about hands and feet and brain and eyes. But he's also talking about the anything in which our body takes part. So it can be our mind and our thoughts and uh, our uh, desires and our jealousies and our 
anger and all these emotions that we can have as well. So it's everything that our body can do. Don't make any of those or don't give any of those over to sin because then you make those things an enemy of your own righteousness. They will fight you to the death. And you can't give in to them. You cannot give them over. Self-indulgence is incompatible with trust in Christ's work on the cross. And that's what it is. It's self-indulgence. It's I'm going to give this little part of me. I'm going to give this little room in my house. I'm just going to do this little thing. But when we do just that little thing, it becomes an enemy of my righteousness. Those M&Ms, they're small. They have no nutritional value. They do nothing good for my body except excite my taste buds. That's all they do that's positive. Everything else that they do for my body is negative. Fat, calories, empty calories, calories that don't help me do anything, uh, they become an enemy of my health. Sin becomes an enemy of my spiritual health. My body parts, my, my pe- those parts of my mortal body become an enemy to my own righteousness. And I end up fighting against what God is doing against me, or doing with me, rather. I fight God when I sin. You fight God when you sin. And we must not give our bodies over to that. Instead, he says, second half of verse 13, give yourself to God. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Give yourself to God. Instead, Instead of giving your body parts, instead of giving any part of your mortal body, your, your emotions, your thoughts, any part of that to sin, instead, Christians, choose, make a point, decide to, determine to, give those things to the Lord. If I were a healthy person and I liked the mess, I would put broccoli or something in that jar. I would, instead of giving myself to M&M's, I would give myself to something healthy and eat that, something that is going to benefit me. That's what he's saying here. Give yourself to the Lord. Give your mortal body, your parts of your mortal body, to the Lord. See, now I said at the beginning, sin has power over you. Sin is persuasive and sin is attractive. But when we give ourselves to God, it is understood by this command that we have power over sin. We can defeat sin. You have power over sin. And it must be a decision that you make on your part to say, I'm not going to allow myself to follow after sin, to give my body parts to war against my righteousness. I am instead going, give, uh, going to give God power over me. Verse uh, 13, but as those who are alive from the dead, because we are, as believers, we were buried with him in death, 
and raised to walk in the newness of life. When we were saved, we are new creation. We are dead, but now we are alive. So as believers who are alive from the dead, we offer ourselves to God. We give ourselves to God. And all the parts of ourselves. Notice how Paul wants to make sure we understand that we're not saying, okay, God, you can have me, except that room and that room and that room. Can't have those, but you can have me, right? This is, this is good enough. This is all you want. He says, no, give yourselves and all the rooms you're keeping locked, all the rooms you think you've got stuff hidden in, all the parts of you that you want to keep back for yourself so you can sin with them, give them all to God. And, and the, the, the tense of that verb now, he has changed it a little bit. Whereas the, the verbs previously, it's uh, do a constant thing, stop doing it, and, and, and then don't allow it to constantly happen. This particular verb, he says, do it now and let that be the end of it. Do it and do it completely. God knows we're going to sin. Again, Romans. Paul understood the the battle that wages in our hearts, in our flesh, in our mortal bodies and all of its parts. He understood that. But he also understood by the use of the language here that we still have to decide that today I'm done with sin. Forget it. I'm done with it. I'm going to stop it and I'm going to stop it completely. The day will come, very likely, that we will have to say again, I am done with sin. Completely forget it. It's over. I am done with it. I am stopping it. And sadly, unless Jesus tarries or by some miracle of his grace down the road, we're going to have to say, I am done with it. I'm stopping it completely. Forget it. It's over. No more sin. But we must resolve in our hearts, not that, oh, I'll give up sin every time I commit it. That's what we want to do, right? Lord, I'm going to give that up next time I commit it, I promise. Next time I do it isn't the last time. That's it. He wants us to say, today, now, I'm done. Forget it. It's over. No longer do I sin. No longer will I give myself over to sin. Well, not, no longer will I present my parts of my mortal body to be an enemy as a weapon against myself. Instead, right now, today, completely and forever, I'm going to let God use me as a weapon against sin. Notice the flip. And previously, he says, don't let yourself use your body as a weapon against your righteousness. Instead, give yourself to God and let him use you, the parts of your body, as a weapon against sin. If I have an issue, I have a sin, I have a candy dish that I just can't walk past, I am to give God that part of me that brings me into sin, that is persuaded by sin, that chases the attraction of sin, and instead of giving it as a weapon against my righteousness, I give that as a weapon against that sin. How does that work? I don't know. But I know that God says, if you will give me the part of you that sins, I will turn that part of you as a weapon against that sin. 
He will weaponize our temptations against the sin that tempts us. I would love to be able to see some sort of formula how that works, but I can't give it to you. All I can tell you is what Scripture says. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. See, we are sinful. I think we're good with that. And we are at war with ourselves. And that's more of that language that Paul uses in other places in Romans about the battle that rages in us for it to be uh, righteous or to be sinful. There is a battle that goes on. And we are on the front lines of it. And God says, let me use you to fight the sin that so easily entangles and ensnares you. It, 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 that feels kind of freeing to me. Because what I want to have to do, or what I assume I have to do, is in order to come to God clean and righteous and be able to talk to Him and pray to Him and, and give Him those things in my life that, that uh, I need to work on, I, what, what I, I think I have to do is, okay, Lord, I'll come to you when I clean it up. When I no longer, I'll let you in this closet once I've cleaned the closet out. That's what I think. That's, that's how my mind works. But what he's saying is, let me clean that closet out. And let me show you that how the junk that you've hidden in here from me, I am going to take and I am going to use as a weapon against the very junk that's in there. I'm going to turn it on itself. I'm going to use those weapons against it. That is freeing. So God, you're going to take my sin, you're going to take my parts, my mortal body that so easily leads me astray, and you're going to use it instead to lead me into righteousness. And he says, absolutely. Why? God gives grace. God knows our sinfulness. God knows our failures. God saved us while we were sinners. Christ died for us while we were sinners. He knew everything about us. He knew when he saved us we were going to fail him. He knew when, we, when he saved us that we were then going to use the parts of our mortal bodies to fight against the very righteousness that he imputed upon us at our salvation. He knew all that and so he provided grace. So then, after we give ourselves to God, we let grace reign. Verse 14. For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Oh, sin has power over us. Sin is attractive. Sin is persuasive. Sin can control us, but sin has no rule over us. Sin does not have the last word. Sin does not have all sovereign authority over us. We give it, we act like, oh, you're so big and bad, and you, oh, I can't do anything with you. And God says, no, that is not the sin that you suffer with. 
What you suffer with is not, oh, I can't do anything with you. The sin you suffer is, ooh, I like you. That's the sin you suffer with. That's your struggle, is that you don't want to walk away from it. You offer your parts of your body to be at war against your righteousness. That's how it rules. It rules because you make it a king. Uh, uh, um, Christian music artist from a few years back, uh, uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen Taylor, Steve Taylor, not Aerosmith, Steve Taylor, uh, it's confusing, uh, said in a song, if you give the devil an inch, he's going to make himself a ruler. I think I've used that phrase before, and I think I got the same amount of response that last time too. Uh, let me say it again, if you give the devil an inch, he's going to make himself a a ruler. You, that's exactly what he does. If we give sin an inch, it makes itself the ruler. But it is not. It is not sovereign over our lives. God is. For sin will not rule over you. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as someone blood-bought, we are not slaves to sin. It does not rule over us by its very nature. The only time sin rules over us is when we give it rulership. We give it an inch, and it makes itself a ruler. So sin has no rule over us, he says. Sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. He is talking about the Mosaic law there. The only thing the Mosaic law could do is show us how sinful we are. He's going to make the point throughout Romans, he makes it in Galatians and other places, that the law was good, the law is not inherently bad, but the only thing it could do is show us how sinful we are. The law could not save us. Only faith in God saved the Jews prior to Christ. Only faith in Christ saves anyone ever, anywhere, today. Not the law, not being good enough. The law showed us how bad we are and how we could not be good. So the law, sin has no rule because the law does not help us. The law does not uh, fix us. The law shows us how problematic sin is. Grace, grace is the absolute power in the Christian's life. Grace from the Lord. Grace that says, I know what you are. I know in your flesh what you are. But I also know, going back two or three sermons ago, I know what you are in Christ. Seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. In Christ we are clean. In Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we are pure. In Christ we are no longer in sin. We today experience the benefits of purity and perfection in Christ. Even as on earth in our temporal, human, dying, decaying, corrupt bodies, we wait for the release from that. We struggle with the sin that so easily entangles us. And we beg, we cry out, we rejoice that today and tomorrow and the next day we live under the authority and the rule of grace and not under the authority and rule of sin. Grace is the rescue 
from the reign of sin in our lives. Grace is that rescue. The grace of God through Jesus Christ. See, we, we struggle, we, we are corrupt, corrupted, we're sinners, but we are not worthless, we're just unworthy. Grace is to the unworthy, not the worst, worthless. God loves us, God loved us so much in such a manner that he sent his son to die for us. That is not an, a worthless people that he died for. But we are certainly unworthy of that grace. So lest we get the big head and say, oh, I got grace. Aren't I special? No, no, you're not. You're, you're special in Christ as, as in your own self and your own mortal body and all the parts of it. You are unworthy of anything but damnation, condemn, uh, condemnation, hell. But in Christ, we are clean. We are saved. We experience the reign of grace and not the reign of sin. And we can experience that. You can experience that reign of grace. Begin to experience that today. See, Jesus is grace. If you want the picture of grace, we can define grace as uh, getting what we don't deserve. That's how we could define it. You didn't deserve it. You were unworthy of it, but you got it anyway. That's grace. But if you want the picture of grace, if, if you're one of those that, okay, Michael, that sounds great, but I need to see it, look at the cross. There's your picture of grace. Jesus on that cross, dying for your sins, for my sins, to take the punishment and to take the sin. Both of those things. Those are both the picture of what happens on the cross. Jesus is grace. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin, outside of grace, outside of uh, the possibility of the reign of God in our lives, or outside, not of the possibility, but of the reality of the reign of God in li- our lives, instead, ruled and controlled by sin, sinned, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Romans 6.23 tells us, our, while our wages of sin is death, the result of our sinfulness is that we will die an eternal death, a separation from God, not just when this mortal body starts, uh, stops working, but when our soul is condemned to hell for eternity. That is the wages of sin. That is the result of our sinfulness. That is the result of bowing down to the rule of sin in our lives. But Jesus was the gift of God, the gracious gift of God, eternal life through him. That is what saves us. That is what overcomes the rule of sin. You want to fight sin? Have at it. You're going to fail. You want to take it on on your own? You, you are, you're storming 
uh, a million-man army with a water pistol and thinking you're going to do something against it, and you're not. You will lose. But if you, take on, if you want to take on sin, you take on grace, the gift of God, through eternal life, uh, of eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. While you were a sinner, while I was a sinner, Christ died for us. He proved his love for us. He proved his desire to take the rule of sin from us and to put, in, put us under his rule. And it is for everyone. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, if you've never trusted Christ, if you're struggling with sin and you know that you have no power over it, that you've done nothing to even make a dent in it, it's because you're fighting the wrong battle. You're fighting with the wrong uh, uh, weapons. You've, you've, you've brought a knife to a gunfight. God says the way you can be saved, the way you can experience grace and overcome sin, is to call on the name of the Lord. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, all from Romans, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, notice, all from Romans and, and sandwiched in there is this message that we saw this morning that you can overcome sin because of the grace of God. I can overcome sin. You can overcome sin. And this morning, you can put the nail in the coffin of sin in your life by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the message is clear. Our salvation is sure. And your way is the only one. Lord, I pray for the lost this morning who have never experienced the grace of salvation through Jesus Christ, that they will do that today. They'll make that decision. Lord, I pray this morning for, for believers who struggle to give you those areas of their lives that you could use as weapons against sin, but instead they choose to use them as weapons against righteousness. Lord, I pray that we will all have a change of heart this morning. During this time of response, we would all respond because we all have something we need to respond to you with. God, I pray that you would work in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is your decision as we respond today? Do you need to trust Christ? Do you need to ask him to save you, to, to put to death death in your life? Believer, do you need to come and make an altar of this stage, bow at the cross and say, Lord, I need to give you parts of me that I have kept for my own. I have made weapons against my own righteousness. Lord, I need you to take those things in me and make them weapons against the sin that ensnares me, that entangles me, that attempts to rule over me. Whatever your decision is this morning, you can come and pray with Tom on my right. I'll be down here on my left if you'd like to pray with me. Talk to us. You can just come to the rails and give it straight to the Lord if that's what you desire. But whatever it is, this morning, don't let this moment pass up when you can stand with us, you can worship with us.
and do business with God as we sing this morning.